Well, good morning. This is the Lou Rockwell Show, and what a thrill it is to have as our guest today, Professor Paul Kangor. Paul is professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. He's the author of nearly 20 books. His latest is The Devil and Karl Marx, two decades after the publication of the Black Book of Communism. Everyone either is or should be aware of just what the immense evil produced by that devilish ideology first hatched when Karl Marx penned his Communist Manifesto two centuries ago. Far too many people, however, separate Marx the man from the evils he wrought by the oppressive ideology and the theory that bears his name. That is a great mistake. Not only do the horrific results of Marxism follow directly from Marx's twisted ideas, but the man himself penned downright devilish things. Well, before Karl Marx was writing about the hell of communism, he was writing about hell. At long last, in this book by Professor Paul Kengor, is a close, careful look at the diabolical side of Karl Marx, a side of a man whose fascination with the devil in his domain would echo into the 20th century and continue to wreak havoc today. It's a tragic portrait of a man and his ideology, a chilling retrospective on an evil that should never have been let out of the pit. So, Paul, it's, it's wonderful this book is out. This is a very important topic. Some, somehow it seems that Satan is more active today than maybe even sometimes in the past. But uh, certainly he's active through communism, through the you know, Black Lives Matter or burning, looting, uh, murdering, as other people describe it. And so many young people, especially not at Grove City College, I know, but at many other colleges and universities, seem sympathetic to socialism and to Marxism. Well, it's 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 very true, Lou. And and by the way, it's good to be with you. I, I think this is the first time I've ever done your show, so it's great to do your show. And um, you're a legend. <laughs> so if I may if I may say that, you didn't ask me to say that, but 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 you are. And uh, especially around Grove City College, where you know we're one of the few places that teaches the Austrian School of Economics. No, no, I know, of course. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it, look, it's it's crazy. I mean, the, the communism suddenly has far more supporters than guys like you and I thought over 30 years ago when the Berlin Wall collapsed. And and I think you know if, if this is something that I saw coming, Lou, I, I I I've been going around going around to different campuses around the country the last 20 years, giving a talk, usually through Young America's Foundation, sometimes through. Intercollegiate Studies Institute with the title "Why Communism Is Bad," <laughs> right? <laughs> I get these, I get these distraught, get frustrated students who email me and say, I've, "I've got a professor who literally has a bust of Karl Marx in his office." I'm not kidding, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm, "I'm sure you're not kidding," right? And I would go there, and 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 oftentimes, Lou, I'd, I'd go in, I'd have a, I'd have an auditorium full of students maybe a couple hundred students. In fact, I'm thinking of a college about within two hours from me right now. There was one faculty member who showed up, and the faculty member was a Polish immigrant who had been in the solidarity movement and in the 1980s. He was an engineering professor, and he told me he was the only registered Republican among the entire 150 faculty at the college, at least that he knew of. Mm -hmm. And they, the students... I, I, I stand up there at the front of the, the front of the class at the podium and I, I bring the Communist Manifesto with me. I bring the, the Harvard book, Black Book of Communism with me. I bring various other books, Gorbachev's books, and I read from this stuff and, and they, they're hearing it all for the first time. 
and it's it, you know, we you think the Berlin Wall fell what November 1989? Give you a sense of perspective. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was four weeks old <laughs> when when the Berlin Wall. Yeah, so she was she was literally nursing at her mother's breast when the Berlin Wall fell, and then from there she went up through our our educational system, our colleges. And so that being the case, it's utterly no surprise whatsoever that she would be a quote unquote democratic socialist. This is this is what we've taught and we've failed to teach the horrors of, of communism, of Marxism and of Karl Marx. It's astounding. And, uh, uh, you know, I wonder because of your book especially, but how much of this is due to the fact that Marx was a Satanist and that Satanism itself seems to be a popular counter-religion these days. Well, I, I, I'm really pretty shocked at the at, at the Satanism that's, that's that's going on out there. I, I read a piece in the Huffington Post last week that a, a faculty member here at Grove City College sent to me about a woman, uh, a young mom in her 40s, and it's it's in the Huffington Post. It's not in the Babylon Bee. It's the it's the real thing, <laughs> and the title was something to the effect of. Um, how um, honoring RBG Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, is leading me to the to the Satanist temple or the Church of Satan, whatever it is. And she goes through and she talks about how she read the website of the of the of the Satanist church, and it seems to match with her values. And how you know how neat this is, how how exciting this is, and and that's what happens in this kind of modern post Christendom culture where there's this spiritual vacuum. And for for a lot of communists 100 years ago, you know, that that spiritual vacuum that that they had, that atheism, uh, communism filled it. And for others, they're going into all kinds of kooky, crazy things, witchcraft, paganism, and in some cases, outright Satanism. And I should um, I should I should add here for the record that in, in in this book, The Devil and Karl Marx, I I don't say that he's a Satanist. I don't say that he was. That he was possessed. I mean, to borrow from Barack Obama, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> but but I do quote others who who say that, who thought that. Other other biographers, the the late Reverend Richard Wormbrand, who wrote the book Tortured for Christ, and he's dismissed by a lot of the the Marx hagiographers, probably because he's a pastor, right? Uh, even though the guy was tortured for Christ for 14 years in Romanian prison by guys shouting at him, we are the devil, while they're torturing him, you think the guy would have a little bit of credibility to make these these allegations. But one of the best Marx biographers, I think the best, a guy named Robert Payne, British professor of literature, of the arts, expert on on on, on poetry, on theater. He wrote in his 1968 Marx biography, which is published by Simon & Schuster, he had a chapter called The Demons. And he did write flat out. He said it did seem at times as if Marx was possessed by demons. He, he said he had the devil's malignity, and and seemed to have seemed to have the the devil's view of the world as if he knew he was doing the works of evil. So that's you know those are statements from a couple people with a lot of credibility. And and again, I just say in the book to try to, to try to say, look, I don't know. I can't prove the man was a Satanist. Obviously, I can't prove that the man was possessed. But but if you look at his writings, his poems, his plays, the things that he advocated, um, forget about the awful, the awful, ridiculous, unworkable economics. You just look at the philosophy alone. 
And there, there's, there's a lot of darkness and despair in, in Marx and his life. And as a young man, he was writing poems to Satan. He was. He was. In fact, I opened the book with two different with stanzas from two different poems. And one of them that's from 1837, he, he says, um, well, I got it right here. Thus, heaven, I've forfeited. I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. I mean, that's pretty chilling. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and it, I mean, that could be, Lou, I, I think that could be autobiographical in, in, in his case, because this is somebody who was born into a Jewish family, a rabbi's religious family. Father converted to Christianity about the time Marx was one or two, year, one or two years old. Marx became, Marx was baptized around the time he was about five years old, 1823, 1824, had actually been a Christian. So his, 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 you know, heaven forfeited, you know, he had once, he had once had a soul that was true to God and then took this really dark turn, not just to atheism, but, but, you know, this was no garden variety atheism. This was pretty disturbing. And I'll quote one other poem. This is his poem, The Player from 1841. Look now, my blood-dark sword shall stab unerringly within thy soul. The hellish vapors rise and fill the brain, till I go mad and my heart is utterly changed. See the sword, the prince of darkness, sold it to me. For he beats the time and gives the signs. Ever more boldly I play the dance of death. And uh, the dance of death, if that's not a metaphor for Marx's ideology and communism, which killed over 100 million people, I don't know what is. And I can remember when that book came out that there were people who poo-pooed it, but of course it's thoroughly documented. And uh, it, it may even, as, as some people argue, understate the number of deaths that were caused by communism. And of course they didn't count the wars. They just talked about the assassinations of the people. Yeah, it, it, in fact, I would say it's way understated. The so the Black Book of Communism came out at the end of the century, so 1999, and it listed about 100 million people dead. And of that, I think for the Soviet Union, Lou, it was 20, 25 million. And the the very latest numbers on that, in fact, one of the books that I bring with me when I speak at these colleges, Alexander Yakovlev, A Century of Violence in Soviet Russia, was published by Yale University Press, 2004, 2005. And Yakovlev was one of Gorbachev's chief reformers. By the way, I quote him in the book referring to Soviet communism as, as, as flat-out demonic. He uses that kind of language. And this was a, this was a, a, a non-believer, right? But even he said, that he said this was demonic. But Yakovlev says in that book, and he was given the job of, of trying to figure out in this post-Soviet commission of crimes just how many people died – he said that Stalin alone annihilated 60 to 70 million people. So that's way more than the Black Book of Communism. The Black Book credits Mao with, I think, 62, 65 million. Latest numbers on Mao, he's probably at least 70 million. And the, it clearly undercounted North Korea, other countries. Cambodia might be 2 to 3 million out of a population of five to seven million in four years. So R.J. Rummel did some great research on this. Mm -hmm. so we're looking at probably you know, R.J. Rummel's death by government work. So, so we're looking at probably 140 million. And, and that would be, I mean, the combined death tolls of World War I and World War II are about 100 million. No, combine them and double them and you get to 100 million. 
So, so there is, I mean, there's no track record of any ideology. You got to look to, to diseases. You got to look, look to like heart disease and cancer to, to find this kind of a death toll. So a uh, dance of death. Yeah. Ever more boldly. This, this, I would say was Marxism's dance of death. Yet it's, it's, uh, I'm sure it's astounding to you. It's certainly astounding to me that so many young people have warm feelings towards communism and socialism. They, they, they just, yeah. They do, and it's because they don't understand it. In fact, if, if, if there's a bright spot here in all of this, it, it's that when these surveys that will ask young people, right? Um, by the way, my favorite is, is the statistic from the, one of the victims of communism memorial foundation surveys about a third of Americans believe that George W. Bush killed more people than Joseph Stalin. Oh, wow. Because George W. Bush killed a lot of people, but yeah, right, he was right. no Stalin. <laughs> well, I, he's not going to get anywhere near 60 to 70 million, I'll tell you that. And, and, but, but what that really tells you is that poll was taken about five or six years ago, that when you're talking to college kids in particular, right, they just came out of a four-year institution where they heard, they heard Bush bad, Bush bad, Bush bad, and the only probably uh, bad Joe that they heard about during the Cold War was Joe McCarthy, right? So, so they, wouldn't, they wouldn't know anything about what Stalin did. And if you, and if you drill down further in these surveys, they'll, they'll ask young people, well, well, how do you define communism? Or how do you define socialism? And they'll say, well, it's about people sharing. <laughs> it's about being kind to one another. They do. They really say this. Uh, it's about people being kind to one another. It's about helping your fellow man, right? Workers of the world unite. Uh, you, have, you have nothing but your chains to lose. And none of them actually say, oh, well, like it says in the Communist Manifesto, the entire communist theory may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. That's what I want. <laughs> you know, they, they don't say that. Or um, my favorite line in the manifesto, abolition of the family, yes. exclamation mark, right? Or, um, or I, I love the line in the 10-point plan about abolishing all right of inheritance. That's what I want. I don't want any of my parents' money. They, they don't know any of that stuff. So if there's maybe a, a bright light in here, it could be that if, if guys like me and you – Right. If we if we can, you know, Mises Institute, everybody else, Grove City College, if 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 we can just reach more young people and teach them the truth about this stuff, maybe they won't be duped by it. But but we're up we're up against a lot, an entire educational system. And I would add, um, you know, Google and, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff out there, too, that's in our way. Yeah, it's astounding. It's the uh, the big corporations that seem to be the most woke. And to be spreading this kind of uh, evil, I, I guess they must think it's going to benefit themselves. But, of course, uh, it does vast destructive effect otherwise. Yeah, they're, they're behind a lot of it. And, you know, a lot of um, the teaching of, of critical theory and you know, stuff that, you know, cultural Marxism, the Frankfurt School. Um, in fact, that very word right there, when you Google cultural Marxism, what pops up in the, in the little nasty Google box is, uh, is um, um, white, white nationalist anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. That's what it <laughs> says for cultural Marxism. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, uh, the first time I saw that, I almost fell off my chair. I thought, oh, who did this? Who wrote this? 
who wrote this? And, and the Southern Poverty Law Center now even uses that definition. So what, what, do, you, what do you even do when, 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 you're up against, when you're up against something like that? Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center is, of course, evil. And um, I guess Google and Twitter and, and uh, Facebook and the rest of them are, are participating in the evil, too. And they certainly have a, a horrendous effect. I mean, it's, it's uh, all over the world, not just in this country. Well, and I got, I got slapped with a, a nasty letter that was put together by three or four Grove City College alumni who had gone on to, to graduate school, and I had never met any of them before, and they wrote it to the president of the college, and, and the one guy who put together the section against me accused me of white nationalist rhetoric, <clears throat> and, and I thought, what in the world is he talking about, <laughs> yeah. right? What's he talking about? And and then and then as I read along, he 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 gave this example that I have written on cultural Marxism, and 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 it, what's what's funny is if he would have went into Google and typed in um, Paul Kengor cultural Marxism instead he just went to an article that was up on our on our Institute for Faith and Freedom website, if he would have typed it in the first thing that would have popped up would have been an American Spectator piece that I wrote on conspiracy theory and cultural Marxism. <laughs> But he, he didn't even do that. He, he probably just saw what was in that little Google box and, and ran with it. And, and I wrote a second piece on it for American Spectator. And from what I'm told, I actually haven't checked in a few weeks. If you type it into Google right now, they changed it. They actually fixed it. It doesn't say that, say that anymore, but it's too late because now the Southern Poverty Law Center uses it. Mm-hmm. So it'll only be a matter, matter of time before it kind of circles back and, and kind of gets in there and sticks into whatever they use, whatever search engines they have, and, and it becomes a kind of a self-perpetuating thing. So you can't even criticize some of the horrific theories that they're – by the way, what should I call it? If I can't call it cultural Marxism, how about this, guys? Marxism applied to culture. Would that be better? <laughs> right? Would yeah. that be better? What a mess. Yeah, it's, it's something, and, and – um... Marxism seems to have penetrated the church too, Catholic Church, Protestant churches, um, and I, I guess that very early on they were actively, you know, attempting to do this. Whether it's the Stasi in East Germany or the KGB in Russia, or, or I guess even even before this, that seems a, that seems a pretty disturbing thing too. I spend a lot of time on that, Lou. I probably. I think I have um, part two of the book. One and two of the book are on Karl Marx. It's probably probably about 120 pages on Marx. Part five, which is which is the longest, is on the infiltration of churches. And they really they really went after the churches in the United States. And they, being Communist Party USA, were you know, working with the Soviet Comintern, which they always did. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, that there's a real conspiracy. <laughs> Right. Uh, Communist Party USA um, was beholden to the Soviet Comintern. That's the way it worked. That's just the way it operated. Every every country had a Communist Party and they had a liaison to to the Soviet Comintern in Moscow. And uh, they were pushing what William Z. Foster called a Soviet America uh, toward a Soviet America. Mm -hmm. That's the name of his book from the 1930s. And his his successor, William Z. Foster, Foster was, by the way, was one of the, the founding board members of the ACLU. His, his successor was Earl Browder, and Browder, it was General Secretary of, of CPUSA, 
he spoke to students at Union Theological Seminary in February 1935, and he said to them, this is an exact quote, you may be interested in knowing that we have preachers, preachers active in churches who are members of the Communist Party. Now, that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I've written in the past in other books about preachers who were duped and misled by, by communists. And I, I, I always talk a lot about that. But to have an actual preacher, a man of the cloth, who professes some sort of confession of faith, <clears throat> to actually be a member of Communist Party USA, which, as Foster and Browder said, yeah, I, I guess we'll take you into the party in America if you believe in God, but you must be in the process of liquidating those beliefs, right? That's what they said. You know, you cannot be a communist and an atheist, or you, or you cannot be a Christian and an atheist. As Marx said, communism begins where atheism begins. So the idea that in Communist Party USA, even in its heyday in the middle of the 1930s, we don't know for sure, but, but never had more than 50,000 to 100,000 members max. Uh, you know, very few American communists, small C communists in, in ideology, actually joined the party. Because to join the party meant, meant you had to literally swear a loyalty oath to Stalin's Soviet Union. And, and most American communists didn't want to go that far. Um, so to have actual uh, preachers in churches who were members of Communist Party USA, uh, that, uh, that's, that's really, really saying something. And some of them, including the church that got hit really hard, the United Methodist Church, um, the Reverend Harry Ward, he was um, a big social justice Methodist, he, and he was one of the original mm – -hmm. the two founders of the ACLU were Roger Baldwin, who wrote the book – um, Liberty Under the Soviets in 1929, and, and the Reverend Harry Ward. And the Reverend Harry Ward, who was known as the Red Dean among, among communist clergy, um, he, it's, hard to, it's hard to tell if he actually believed in God or it just wormed his way into the system and, and was, um, was, wor was working within the United Methodist Church. Uh, I mean, there were some, probably some pastors who were so deluded, so misled that, 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 that they were communists, but probably if your, your typical communist in the church who is a clergy member is probably there uh, in, in an insincere way to infiltrate and subvert. Of course, there's also Satanism among the clergy, at least some of them. Um, I, Malachi Martin felt that there had been a black mass held in the Vatican right. uh, when Paul VI was pope. That's right. Yeah, and in fact, Paul VI said that the the smoke of Satan has 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 entered the church, and uh, yeah, Malachi Martin, uh, boy, his book Hostage to the Devil. I don't know if you've ever read oh, it. Yeah, no, no, yeah, great book. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's one book I couldn't even get through. I mean, that is that's it's it's really it's really quite frightening, but but there were there were attempts as well to infiltrate the Catholic Church, and I have a full chapter. On Bella Dodd's testimony, mm -hmm. she was she was a probably probably the most prominent uh, ex-communist female ex-communist in the United States. She converted to the Catholic Church, a convert through Fulton Sheen, 
And another was Louis Boudens, who this is this is a great story. Uh, he was converted back into the Catholic Church by Fulton Sheen as well. His name was still on the masthead of the Daily Worker when Fulton Sheen had, <laughs> had brought him <laughs> into the Catholic Church. He had he had already left the party, but but Bella Dodd, who died in 1969. She claimed that 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 she helped. I go through. I try to nail down if she said it, when she said it, who says that she said it. But she she reportedly claimed. I still have a FOIA request filed for her FBI file, which still has not been released. Wow. But yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, we 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 are um, we are my source on this. The attorney who does this work is um, suing, that <laughs> sounds more dramatic than it is, it's just the kind of legal process, the FBI, again, to try to get her file released. The Rosenberg's file has been released, Whitaker Chambers, um, you know, Alger Hiss, Frank Marshall Davis, you name it, Bella Dodd still has not been released. But, but she claimed that she helped place a thousand communist men in Catholic seminaries as priests in the in the 1930s and she her job was to organize the teachers union in the state of new york where she placed thousands in the in the in the teachers union in the state of new york um the fbi found that about half of communist party usa members in the united states in the 1950s lived in new york city so upwards of probably 30,000 out of 60,000 nationwide lived strictly in New York City. So, so she was a woman, a person who believed that she was capable of those kinds of numbers of, of recruiting and placement. So if, so if indeed the party thought about going to somebody who could try to place men in the seminaries, she, she would have been a natural person for the party to go to to do that. Wow, yeah, that's I, I remember that uh, now that she said that, or we're told she said it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, and, and it's feasible. And when I when I re when I read what Pope Francis has to say about economics, I wonder exactly what some of his influences have been too. I might say. What's well, a good question? Yeah, and I have I have a long chapter where I go through the Catholic Church and and fighting communism, going all the way back to the encyclical Qui Pluribus in eighteen forty six. Two years before the Communist Manifesto was published, it's an amazing document. Um, the the encyclical uh, Divini Redemptoris, which I have right here, and that was by Pius XI, nineteen thirty-seven, on atheistic communism, mm -hmm. refers to communism as a satanic scourge produced by the sons of darkness. So the Church did beautiful work on all of that stuff, and and then Francis, I I, I to be to, to give him credit on this, he has said flatly, the Marxist ideology is wrong, quote unquote. But I got to tell you, Lou, he hasn't said anything more than that. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he, that's that's the totality <laughs> of of what he said. And that that moment where Evo Morales, the Bolivian leader, hands him mm -hmm. a, hands him a quote unquote communist crucifix, mm -hmm. which is the photo that's used. In America Magazine, the Jesuit magazine, for its July 2019 piece titled The Catholic Case for Communism. Yes, they actually published a piece called The Catholic Case for Communism. It makes you wonder what's next. The Catholic Case for Atheism, right? The Catholic Case for Satanism. 
but but that article has that picture of um, of Pope Francis accepting that communist crucifix. He should have thrown it down on the floor, but uh, but but he did not. No, and I, I've always liked the Leo the Thirteenth encyclical on socialism mm. that uh, has gotten very little attention. Yes. Um, because everybody pays more attention to his the one on the labor. Rerum Novarum. Uh, mm-hmm. He he he. Uh, it's it's a great encyclical. It is. It, it's 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 terrific, and the uh, I think a lot of liberal Catholics, a lot of uh, woke social justice Catholics, they don't realize this. Uh, you know, but uh, uh, Quadragesimo Anno in 1931 on the on the 40th anniversary of Rerum Novarum. So this would have been Pius XI as well, and it said a one cannot be at the same time a true Catholic and a socialist. The two are incompatible. And and and, and, and there's also a great section there too that everybody misses, where where he says, look, if you want to help the poor, if you want to help your fellow man, do the gospel. Yeah, I, I, you know, don't do an atheistic ideology, strictly materialistic. That 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 rejects God, it, you know. It, it, it's it, it's so ridiculous. Like, oh well, I see here that communism talks about helping uh, factory workers. Oh, it's just like Jesus, right? It, it's it's you have a hundred characteristics, and because there's two of them that have some similarity with something that Saint Francis did, it's like, well, I think we could learn something here from communism. Uh, you know, what's next? Oh, well, we have we have a lot in common with witchcraft, with witches and warlocks. You know, they they believe in the supernatural too. It's just it's just kind of an unbelievable um, simplistic argument. I don't know how much attention that uh, liberal priests pay to Rerum Navarum these days, but I was always struck when I read it that he says that of course strikes, uh, being violent and promoters of violence, are of course should be illegal. Mm. Wow. They promote u- unions, all these people, which, of course, are uh, tend to be violent associations. But uh, Pope Leo XIII said, you know, they should be outlawed strikes because, of course, they're, they're threatening people and they commit violence against those who cross the line and that sort of thing. Well, and that's, and that's what they were witnessing in Italy at the time. And um, that Leo XIII encyclical, yeah, it's called On Socialism. And the Latin is uh, quad uh, apostolici uh, muneris, and that was issued in 1878. So it was it was it was the first year of his pontificate. You know, yeah, it was that, tremendous. Yeah, it went from so he went from he went from 1878 to 1903, 25 years, following a 32-year papacy of Pius IX. And I I just looked at this in my document while you were talking there. He said he put socialists and communists together. He said, quote, they form a wicked confederacy. We speak of that sect of men who, under various and almost barbarous names, are called socialists, communists or nihilists, and who spread all over the world and bound together by a wicked confederacy, no longer seek the shelter of secret meetings, but openly and boldly marching forth in the light of day. How, how prescient is this? Strive to bring what they have long been planning, the overthrow of all civil society. They leave nothing untouched. They attack the right of property. They debase the natural union of man and woman, held sacred even among barbarous peoples. 
and its bond by which the family is chiefly held together. Doctrines of socialism strive almost completely to dissolve this union. So it spoke of the pest of socialism, the plague of socialism, the evil growth of socialism. And, 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 and I love this, warned of the recruits of socialism and, and accused socialists of stealing the very gospel itself with a view to deceive more easily the unwary. And so when people like Pope Francis say, oh, I, I think that we can learn something from the socialists and communists, right? No, you're being deceived there. Uh, you know, they, they are, as Leo XIII said, these socialists distort the gospel to suit their own purposes. No, it's true. And we're supposed to think that, well, maybe if you can't accept communism, maybe there's something's wrong with communism. But socialism, especially democratic socialism, is just, you know, an absolutely wonderful, flawless system. But of course, it's just pure evil. It is. And, and, and Marx and Engels, I mean, the difference between socialism and communism, they believed that, and this is Marxist Leninist theory, Lenin says this as well, this is in Lenin's book on the state and revolution. So they believed that this dialectical march of history, that, that humanity would pass through these various stages, go from slavery to feudalism to capitalism to socialism to communism. So socialism was simply the final transitionary step to communism. You know, that's how they saw it. And, and, and so I know you'll run into socialists today who say, well, all right, but I'm, I don't want to be a communist. You know, I'm a democratic <laughs> socialist. Yeah. But, but Leo XIII and Pius XI and, and, these, and these others, they, they, they said they warned against even, quote, uh, milder forms, unquote, of socialism. This is all part of the same wicked conspiracy um, what Pius X called called the modernists, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. So they're 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 all doing you know they're all part of uh, it, it's all fruit from the same poison tree. Paul, it's it's uh, it's so great to hear you speaking the truth, and uh, I hope this book sells a million copies. Uh, I'm glad to see that Tan, the Saint Benedict, published it. And it's a great publisher. I know that it's a great book. And may it uh, may it prosper. May young people read it. May even faculty members read it and learn something from it. And uh, you know, your your whole life's work has been in the cause of truth. But uh, I think this book is capping things. Not obviously, you're still a young man. It's not capping your career, but uh, it's capping much of your work. And it's it, it couldn't be a more important book for, book for this time. It's really uh, we're going to of course link to it on Amazon and and. Uh, Congratulations on this book. Congratulations on everything you've written. And uh, congratulations on the fight you're fighting. You've not been uh, put back one step by any of these people, but you advance towards the truth and towards God. And uh, it's just, it's thrilling to talk to you. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. And maybe you'll come back uh, at another time after uh, doing some more promotion on your book. Well, thank you, Lou. That is very kind. I, I, I'm really humbled by that. I'm really touched. That, that, that's, I really do appreciate that. And uh, congratulations. I, I don't know if I should be congratulated. This is, <laughs> this is slogging through a lot of darkness oh, yeah, in writing a lot of these books. Yeah, and, and yeah, I get a lot of grief for it, but it's just this compulsion. I feel that you know, this is an evil, and, and we need to expose it right? You know, we need to do our part to expose these things and, 
And um, I thank you as well for, 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 for what you do. I really appreciate it. That's very kind. Paul, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, thanks again and look forward to having you back. I'd love to. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you.